Hello NK News podcast listeners, it's your host Jacko Zwetslukt and today it is Thursday the, what is it, the 28th of uh, April 2022 and I'm recording this live from the NK News vehicle as we are speeding along the Kyongin Expressway between Seoul and Incheon. I'm part of a group of, uh, of us who are taking a trip to Pengyongdo, that is an island, one of the five islands in the West Sea that belong to South Korea, but that actually lie quite close to the North Korean coast. And Pengyongdo is the, I think it's the largest of all of them, uh, and the one that lies closest to uh, the North Korean coast. And we're heading there for an overnight trip. You're hearing some of my colleagues in the background talking amongst themselves. I will be recording little snippets of audio here and there that uh, our producer and genius extraordinaire Gabby Magnuson will be stitching together. It's quite early. We had a 5.30 departure this morning from the NK News offices in Seoul uh, because the ferry uh, to uh, the once-a-day ferry to, uh, to Pengyongdo Island only well, it leaves every morning at around 7.50, so we've got to be there on time for that. Questions you're hearing in my uh, last week's guest on the podcast, Chris Green. They're asking about whether there's a Starbucks at the ferry terminal. And I'll record a little bit of audio on the ferry as well. So stay tuned, listeners. This is a uh, live from the uh, the roadside, and we'll do lots of uh, on-site recording both to and from and on the island. Hope you enjoy it. I'm now here at the ferry terminal in Incheon, and uh, it is uh, 7.05. Boarding time is at 7.30. There's a lot of people here boarding ferries to Pengyongdo and other islands. The ferry terminal, actually, almost all the seats are full. I'm being watched by one of my colleagues. I'm recording a podcast here, Tomas. And uh, soon we'll be on a ferry for a a four-hour tour. A four-hour tour, and I have already just taken a a little tab of uh, some sort of anti-seasickness medicine that they sell here. Quite expensive, two for 6,001. Tomas, are you excited about going on the trip to Pengyong Island? I am very excited, yes, indeed. Have you ever been there before? No, it's my first time. Ah, Arias. How are you feeling about going to Pengyongdo? I'm feeling very excited, Jacko. Really happy to see this part of Korea. I've been to many islands, uh, but not this particular one. So uh, My first trip, too. Absolutely. Uh, do you get seasick? I don't know, but I, I'm not taking any chances. So I did buy the seasickness medicine, and uh, I've taken a tab. Have you taken a tab? I haven't, but you're supposed to take one about an hour before you depart. So I think now is a good time. This is right. I, I, I've taken one right now. Yeah. Just in case. This is uh, BBC Jean here. Well, I'm just looking at the seasickness tab that we put on our tongues apparently now. Yeah, if you're um, worried about perhaps being seasick, I would take that right now on your tongue because we're, you know, 50 minutes or so from departure time. This is Jacko again. I and the other members of the NK News expeditionary team to Pengyongdo uh, are now aboard the ferry. The ferry is slowly pulling away from Incheon Harbour. There was a foghorn. I did kick myself for not recording it, but sadly I missed that moment. We are now slowly heading away. The the ferry, I would say, is about three quarters full, judging by the uh, number of seats that are filled. There's a unit of uh, rock marines that are also here. They were uh, on board the ship and seated very neatly before we even got on uh, the gangplank. Not sure how many rock marines there are, but somewhere between 50 and 100. A bad guess of uh, numbers of people. They will probably be going to uh, relieve another unit of, uh, of rock marines who were stationed on Pengyong Island. I believe, well, I heard a rumor, uh, rumor is perhaps the wrong word, I heard it's, it's hard to confirm that about half of the people on Pengyong Island are in fact military. So it'll be interesting to see just how populated it is. It's a, a larger island than Yonpyongdo, Ypido as they call it uh, in the US military, but lesser populated than uh, Yonpyongdo. Um, later on, I'll wander over to and uh, talk to him about this uh, this expeditionary trip to Pengyongdo. We're still getting the instructional videos on what to do in case of uh, a water exit from the from the ferry. I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but I do know now that my life jacket is in a mesh bag underneath the seat that I'm sitting in, which is A3. <laughs> Ah, there's the foghorn. Hope that was picked up nicely by the microphone. I can see the apartments of, of one of the newer parts of Incheon over in the distance. A lot of the members of the NK News team are sitting down and typing feverishly, writing their articles uh, for the day. 
No signs of seasickness yet, but it's still too early. Where the sea looks very gentle, the waves are quite languid. The sky's a little bit overcast, but I'm not anticipating any particular choppy or stormy weather uh, on the way to the island. Let's hope we have four hours of smooth sailing. Well, I'm going to interview Chad O'Carroll now here on the uh, the observation deck at the back of the ferry. It's a bit chilly today, Chad. Yeah, it's uh, a bit windy and I'm here in a t-shirt. So. Yeah, very cold to be out here in, in nothing but a t-shirt. Tell us about this mission to Penyongdo. What are we going to look for there? So uh, this has been on our bucket list for a while now. Um, it's one of the islands really close to North Korea and uh, with the border shut in North Korea and the inability to go there, we've been slowly but surely going to all of the uh, inter-Korean border locations and I think this is one of the last remaining ones that we've yet to see. So uh, yeah, that's why we're going. Um, and the four-hour boat journey has kind of delayed us wanting to go for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but our new colleague Yifang told us you would only really want to go for a night so uh, hence we're, we're going today. Um, Excellent yeah and it, it, I, th- I understand that there's five major islands in the West Sea uh, close to North Korea. We, we, we went to Yonpyongdo two years ago and I interviewed you on the ferry back from that. Uh, this island is bigger. Is there much to see on the island? As far as I understand you can see less of North Korea than you can from Yonpyongdo but there are some um, you know, you are, I think, five or six miles from North Korea, so clear day. Hopefully, like today, we should get a good good uh, view of North Korea. Um, one key thing is, is some great sandy beaches there, uh, one of which doubles as an airfield in the Korean War. Yeah. I think it can still be used now. And I believe on those north-facing beaches, lots of North Korean trash will be washing up, which listeners know we've... Uh, we've spent a lot of time collecting in recent years. That's right, you may have seen uh, Bart's uh, films on, on collecting North Korean trash on the YouTube channel. Goodness me, it's very windy out here. I'm literally holding onto my hat so that I don't lose it. Yifang, would you like to be on the podcast? Sure, that will be my nephew, I guess. Exactly. Now, Yifang, you are, um, I think, alone among all of us that you've actually been to Penyongdo before. So we're actually counting on you as sort of being the reconnaissance man. You've been there. What's it like? It's a very small but a very diverse island with a lot of different kind of uh, natural beaches, rocks and stones and um, yeah, it's very interesting. Looking forward to going there again. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, on the last trip, uh, I understand you got a little bit seasick. I did. I did. I get very, very seasick. Uh, this time I'm prepared. I took uh, Molmiak, the medicine, so I hope that I'll be spared. Did you take the medicine or did you not take the medicine before your previous trip? I did not and I strongly advise you do take it, yeah. I should uh, it's a bit of a, an audio description here for our listeners. There are currently about 30 Marines a short distance from us all smoking some cigarettes uh, before going back in. We, it turns out what we thought was an observation deck is really a smoking area on the back of the ferry. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, is there good food to be had on Penyongdo, Yifang? Well, there's some decent uh, seafood restaurants and a very good uh, cold noodle place, I heard. So. Ah, Pyongyang-style cold noodle, I hope? Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, all right, we're going to find out. Stay tuned, listeners. Dr. Andre Lankov, nice to see you here on this ferry. Yes, thank you. It's a complete coincidence. Absolute coincidence, and we are just sitting next to one another. Well, what a coincidence! It's very natural. Uh, now we are going uh, on a journey to the western islands of South Korea. Uh, there are five of them. Why is North Korea aggrieved about the water around the five western islands? Uh, well, it's not really aggrieved in a strict sense because this issue used to be well unnoticed by essentially both sides for decades. It began to um, be taken seriously by the North Koreans, uh, say, around in the 1990s, I would say. Um, One of the reasons, of course, uh, control over fishing resources here, uh, because these waters are uh, rich with fish and crab. Um, my understanding is that crab is probably more important, but all kinds of seafood. It's a shallow, relatively warm, yellow sea, uh, so um, you basically have a lot of uh, expensive uh, seafood and 
Of course, it's some kind of resource North Koreans would like to have more control over. Yes, giant crab, snow crab, red crab. I'm not sure. No, some kind of crabs. I'm, I'm not really. Well, I don't like crabs. Ah. Or maybe crabs would consider that I like crabs because I don't eat them much. Now, my crude understanding of um, the uh, historical situation is that when the armistice was signed in 1953, uh, North Korea effectively had no naval power at, at all and had no control or way to police its own naval borders. So the, um, the United Nations uh, side was able to, to push the maritime limit line up a bit uh, to include these five western islands that had never fallen to North Korea, or if they had fallen, they were taken back. So basically these islands that, if you, look, if you draw, draw a straight line from the demilitarized zone that goes across the land, these islands would be south of that. But because the islands belonged to South Korea, they drew a maritime limit line northwards to include the islands. And North Korea makes some claims every now and again that uh, the map should be redrawn so that uh, even if the islands are South Korean, the water around them is North Korean. Is that more or less right? Uh, well, more or less, but there are some important parts. Uh, first of all, uh, during the war, uh, South Koreans have never really lost control over these islands. Ah. So to an extent they had any administration, they had South Korean administration. Uh, but it was not that important because, first of all, uh, these were remote and very poor parts of the country with uh, small, with just a few people living there. Not, not really, really a big deal. And back then they did not that care much about seafood, res seafood resources, as you can guess. Uh, and then armistice was uh, signed, and armistice position basically uh, how they divided. Uh, it was quite easy. Wh whoever was in real, actual control of the territory um, by that time, in uh, July 1953, he, uh, this side will stay in control of this territory. Mm -hmm. So they essentially took front line and transformed it into the demarcation line between two, well, let's right. be frank, Korean states, even though neither side was willing to accept uh, oneself as a separate state. Right. Uh, and then something interesting happened, uh, because islands was not really a big issue, and it was never even dispu disputed. Uh, but waters around island. Uh, soon after the armistice, American side decided to draw a line, uh, which is called NLL, Northern Limit Line, uh, basically uh, around the island, slightly north of the island. And it was done uh, largely to prevent South Koreans mm. from attacking North, North Korean territory. Because that was a big danger in, under uh, President Syngman Rhee in 1953, that uh, the Americans thought that uh, the South Koreans might push north again to reunify the country. Uh, yes, sort of. I don't think that Sinmanri really wanted it, mm. but he was working hard to create an impression he wanted it. So to play safe, Americans decided to draw this line. But it was not really a big issue, because when there was some research about the origin of the NLL line, uh, they discovered that basically almost no material from the 1950s exists. Hmm. Uh, because it was, once again, it was not seen as a big issue. Uh, North Koreans uh, had no navy, and they would not care about remote islands, because taking over the islands would not give them any advantages anyway. And uh, seafood and generally kind of sea resources we are not taking, we are not seen as something big. Uh, so surprisingly the NLL was un so insignificant in the first, say, 10 or 15 years of its history that it did not even produce much papered work about it. Mm. At, uh, at least attempts to find much about how it was decided. We base basically uh, the decisions, the decree, to my understanding, has never been found. Here's a question. Were, in the years immediately after the armistice, in the 1950s, were civilian South Koreans allowed to continue to live on these islands or were they entirely militarized? Uh, my understanding is, uh, of course, we are allowed to live and probably in larger numbers mm. because one of the part of the Korean demographic, demographics has been uh, an exodus of people from the islands. Uh, yes. Islands are losing population. And uh, my understanding is that uh, people lived there 
and maybe they, they I think that probably population was larger, but I'm not ready to answer this question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Over the years, there were some uh, fishermen from some of these islands who were uh, abducted by North Korea and made to uh, continue to live in North Korea, weren't they? Yes, yeah. Actually, we had about 500 people who were abducted by the North Koreans. They did it quite frequently mm -hmm. uh, until the late 80s, 1980s, early 1990s, when this uh, activity was essentially discontinued. Mm. Uh, because it's a change of uh, North Korean attitude to defection, to abduction. They used to abduct people and they, of course, welcomed any defector who was coming to North Korea until, say, some point in the 1990s. Then they did abduction only when they really badly needed somebody to abduct somebody. Say, uh, maybe, you know, a movie producer, well, but actually happened earlier too. Uh, uh, and if now, if somebody is a defector, it's something which is not widely understood. If you are a defector and you come to North Korea, they are not going to accept you. Mm. Most likely, with, mm, there is high, most likely they'll be kicked out. Right. Uh, yeah, and back then, yes, they did abduction. It was quite common when they boarded uh, fishing vessels. Uh, South Koreans claim all of, has always been that it's done uh, basically outside the North Korean territorial waters. I'm not so sure because maybe in many cases they basically intercepted vessels which were in their territorial waters. Uh, but anyway, and these people then were, they basically stayed in North Korea. They had to spend their life, most of their life there. Some of them were eventually released, or no, not not really. Some of them eventually escaped uh, through China. Uh, but uh, yeah. And at least one of these people, as I recall, was allowed to meet with their separated family members during one of those family reunions. Yes, because the official South North Korean line is that these people were not abducted. Right. They uh, just uh, found themselves in North Korea. They were so much impressed by the greatness of the great leader and the um, perfect uh, social system and everything. So they volunteered to stay in the paradise and maybe fight for the revolutionary unification or in some kind of unification so South Koreans will probably would probably enjoy the same paradise like lifestyle eventually. I imagine that could be quite uh, emotionally traumatic for the South Korean families to not see or hear from their loved one for many years and then to have a very short meeting with them on the understanding that they voluntarily chose to live in North Korea and they're going back to North Korea afterwards. Yes, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's basically a, a part of this story which is a bit, which is usually overlooked. Uh, we have about 500 people kidnapped from uh, the south, uh, south by the North Koreans. I say 500 because you are, if you have uh, some material, you see much larger figure, much, much high, larger numbers, uh, but it depends how you count. When I say 500, I talk about people who found themselves in the north against their own will after 1953. And uh, 500 people, it's a bit less, 400 something, uh, is a large number, yes. Uh, but in Japan, we have about a dozen people mm. who were abduct abducted. And it's a national issue of which is one of the major issues of the foreign policy. Yeah. It's a decisive uh, item on the agenda of relations between Japan and um, North Korea and so on. But when it comes to uh, South Korea, well, sorry, when it comes to Korea, South Korea, uh, you see that this issue is almost forgotten. Right. Yes, there are some families who are talking about it. <laughs> they try to wage campaigns, but get very little interest. It's basically, well, it's not. It's essentially unnoticed. South Koreans, South Korean public, generally speaking, don't care about abductees. Mm. Now, um, going back to uh, the Northern Limit Line, uh, when Normu Hyun met with Kim Jong Il back in uh, 2007. I remember that uh, uh, North Korea put forward a plan for moving the Northern Limit Line south, but enabling those islands to remain in South Korean hands by having almost four or five 
fingers of water which South Korea could sail northwards into effectively the North Korean zone to reach their own island. So it, it, it was a very radical redrawing of the map. I think people can find it uh, on Wikipedia, that, uh, that map there. But was that a realistic proposal that North Korea put forward at the time? Uh, absolutely not. It was not realistic. And um, um, basically they began to pay attention to the NLL only in the 1990s. Before that, it was basically something people did not really care much about. And very few people know about the existence of the line and these islands, which in the end of the day, in spite of being located very close to North Korean territory, are small, economically insignificant, and they basically run a massive budget deficit. They can survive largely because they're subsidized because social infrastructure, schools, uh, medicine, everything, um, it cannot be supported without, uh, uh, it cannot be maintained without uh, money from uh, from the central government, from the, basically from money from Seoul, let's say. Uh, and North Koreans began to uh, pay attention, and indeed, as you have described, the idea was to uh, move NLL north, uh, presenting them with a large, uh, a part of uh, the Yellow Sea or Western Seas, they usually say in Korea, and uh, in exchange they promise this kind of zone, small kind of area around the islands, plus uh, access corridors, mm. quite narrow, frankly. And if you have a look at the map of their proposal, it looks bizarre. It looks yeah. very strange. Uh, I don't think they expected it to be taken, um, because Nomu Hyun was ready to make concessions, but this type of concessions would create much trouble. Not only with uh, opponent, his opponents in the uh, conservative camps, but also with his usual support base, because uh, South Korean fishermen are not going to like it. Mm. Now, I noticed that... Um these islands technically still belong to Ongjin County, part of Gyeonggi Province. And Ongjin, uh, of course, is famously the name of the peninsula uh, which w- the, uh, where there was fighting before the official beginning of the Korean War. And uh, so we're talking about the period 1949-1950, uh, the Ongjin Peninsula, which was part of South Korea, but was cut, uh, separated from the rest of South Korea by the fact that the 38th parallel goes through a, pe- a, a, a bit of sea, basically. So these islands, are, um, we can only reach them by going by ferry from uh, Incheon, but they're still actually part of Ongjin County, as is that peninsula, which is now very firmly in North Korean hands. So that's a sort of a historical piece of trivia. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, it's interesting because uh, this islands is the only part of uh, Ongjin uh, County which is still under the South Korean control. Because the major part, which is located on the, I would say, North Korean continental land, on the peninsula, on the Korean peninsula, right. um, this part, uh, uh, since uh, the beginning of the Korean War, well, since after, let's say, since the armistice, is under North Korean control, and these islands still stay here, and of course uh, their administrative position is much celebrated, mm. uh, but it's probably this kind of emphasis is. A sign of bygone days when uh, South Korean government and to an extent South Korean public just wanted to emphasize that North and South is the same state, same nation, that one day they would liberate the South, uh, sorry, the North, and of course North Koreans were going to liberate the South, and so on and so on and so on. Now it sounds quite outdated, and uh, I think that this idea of keeping a sort of a fictional part of Unjin County inside South Korea. Mm. It's not really that uh, producing that much enthusiasm and patriotic, you know, fever like it used to. But it used to. It used to be the case. And in the last two decades, the waters around these islands have become a very popular destination for Chinese fishing vessels and crabbing vessels to come and get their stocks. Even though they're South Korean waters and there's also North Korean waters north of there, why are there so many Chinese boats around and why is that a problem? Uh, because Chinese love seafood, because Chinese have massive fishing fleet, uh, because Chinese looking for any piece of seafood they can take. Uh, for South Korea it's a problem because uh, this uh, fishing boat are present in their uh, exclusive economic zone and in most cases not always but in most cases they do illegal fishing 
and attempts to drive them out uh, are not very successful because Chinese are quite willing to use physical force against uh, South Koreans. Mm -hmm. And South Koreans are not using lethal force. Uh, so basically they try to use non-lethal means to drive Chinese Water out. hoses? Yes, water hoses, all, all kind of things. But Shouting on a microphone? Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. But they, no matter how um, well they know the Chinese sphere of it doesn't produce much impact. Uh, so anyway... Uh, so uh, it's a problem. For the North Koreans it's a bit more complicated because starting from roughly 2004, uh, North Korean government began to sell licenses to the Chinese uh, so they can fish in uh, the North Korean waters in uh, economic, uh, easy uh, economic exclusive zone. Uh, so their presence uh, is largely, largely legal. Not maybe not completely, maybe they do some illegal fishing in the North Korean waters, but problem is that North Korean naval patrols are a bit more difficult to deal with because they sometimes use lethal force mm. and um, fishermen are brave and tough, but they are not very eager to be killed. Um, and so I think that most of the fish, fishing fleet which is present in these waters is actually quite legal and they uh, pay uh, for license they pay certain fixed amount of money which is secret but known to be something like 20-30,000 depending on the size of the boat and location, time, everything. So they basically buy, uh, buy, uh, buy license from uh, buy license from uh, North Korean government. Would it be a breach of United Nations sanctions? Uh, good question, I assume yes, uh, but there are many other things going like that. Right. Yeah. Now, do you imagine that North Korea, uh, the North Korean Coast Guard or Navy, encourages the Chinese fishing boats to go into South Korean territorial waters or simply uh, tacitly allows it to happen? I think they don't encourage. Um, passively, yes, quite possible. Yeah, I don't think they will prevent much. And what do you uh, expect to see on Penyong Island today and tomorrow? Just a remote uh, Korean island, um, some aging population, some fishermen, not many kids, uh, maybe some migrants, but not many, maybe you know, Vietnamese girls uh, who have married to the locals. Uh, and yeah, it's what I expect to see. And maybe some items that have come over from North Korea in the uh, water? It's usual, it's usual. And uh, probably I'm going to see some uh, North Korean or more likely Chinese uh, fishing boats, uh, which can be quite close sometimes to the island, remarkably close. Well, thank you very much, uh, Andrei yeah, Lanko. And of course, a lot of military installations. A lot of mm. military installations. Right, we, and the ferry that we're on right now is we are sharing with uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 South Korean Marines who are presumably going to serve some period of conscription over there on Penyong Island. That's normal for all the islands in the Western Sea, isn't it? Uh, not exactly, oh. but for these islands which are close to the North Korean, uh, uh, North Korean territory, yes. Uh, let's not forget that Korea is a country of roughly 3,000 islands. Not all are populated, some of them are very small, uh, but uh, it's a lot of islands. Most of them are on the Western Sea, nearly all, Western and Southern Sea. And uh, most of them don't have any military installations because they are remote from, uh, from, North, uh, from North Korea and nobody in, in the sane mind expects uh, North Koreans to mount a you know, landing in some island somewhere in the southern sea. So they have some military presence, and patrols, everything, but not much. And these islands are special. They are remarkably close to the North Korean territory. There is always a probability of North Koreans staging an attack against this island. Mm, like happened on Yeonpyongdo in uh, November 2010. It was shelling. Yeah. Uh, it can be real amphibious operation. And uh, there is such a threat ever present. And on top of that, in case of, of the war, of real war, these islands will have great strategic value uh, because of their location essentially in the rear of the North Korean forces. Mm. Right, so we, if something does happen, perhaps an amphibious landing by North Korean special forces? Yes, yes. And uh, South Korean eff efforts to block it or repel it.
Uh, so these islands are heavily militarized indeed, but it's not applicable to the majority, I would say vast majority of the Western Sea Islands. Okay, thank you very much for your time today, Professor Lankov. Thank you very much. The uh, ferry has now uh, is slowly pulling into dock at Pengyongdo. Most of the Marines are still sitting in their seats. Most of the passengers, on the other hand, have uh, charged down the stairs, ready to make their quick exit upon arrival. Yeah, it's been a four-hour journey, as I said, from Incheon to Pengyongdo. It's currently ten minutes to twelve noon, so we're looking forward to having a nice lunch once we get off here. Ooh. I'm having a quick sneak peek into the premium seats. It looks like uh, first or business class on an airplane. That's quite nice. A mostly uneventful and boring ferry ride from Incheon to here. Looking forward to getting back on dry land, feeling a bit of sun. These are the sounds of the, uh, the cargo hold where the vehicles are stored on the ferry. We're slowly inching our way forward. Hundreds of people getting off the ferry at the same time. The, uh, the cliffs of Pengyongdo in front of me look quite striking. I can already see them here through the opening in the hold. Oh, there's somebody doing temperature checks in a, uh, a full-body pink hazmat suit and a, uh, a face shield. Oh, no. I'm mistaken. That is not a full-body pink hazmat suit. That is just a pink jacket. But they are doing temperature checks just to make sure no one secretly brought COVID to the island. Hopefully I get the all clear. Thank you. Once there's a single beep from the thermometer, uh, we're free to go. Right, we are now off the ferry, walking on the land at the docks of Pengyongdo. Very excited to finally be here after 23 years of wondering what will Pengyongdo have in store for us. I'm very curious. Let's see. First, lunch. This is an, a short interview with Ms. Kim Sunja, who is owner of the Konggakji Tofu Restaurant on the island of Pengyongdo near the, uh, the peak on the north coast where the pavilion Shimchonggak provides the best and clearest view across the water into North Korea. I talked to uh, Kim Sunja after our NK News team had an excellent meal of uh, tofu and meat stew uh, and freshly pressed tofu. Uh, Kim Sunja has a wonderfully surprising story that somehow represents the whole history of the Korean Peninsula of the last 60 years writ small in one family. Special thanks to Sokil Park of Liberty in North Korea, that is Link, uh, for providing the impromptu interpreting for my interview with Kim Sunja. Thanks, Sokil. How long have you lived on Pengyong Island? So I'm from Gyeongsang province originally, but I've been living in Pengyong Island for about 40, 50 years. During your time here, uh, have you seen any activity by North Korean fishing boats or uh, abductions of fishermen by North Korea? So there's not that kind of stuff here. I mean, there may have been some spies that have come in the past, but actually people who live here, we don't feel you know, scared about that kind of stuff. We're very different to the people in the cities on the mainland who might be scared of North Korea, but people in Pengyong Island actually don't think about it. What's life like on Pengyongdo? So we're close enough to Incheon, it's only about four hours away by boat. And so we're pretty much similar to Incheon, you know, we, we live at a similar level to Incheon citizens. And why did you come here from Gyeongsangdo originally? 
So uh, I'm from Gangsang province, but originally first went to Incheon to live there. But my uncle was in the military here. And he was a, a senior officer, the, the senior officer on the island. And uh, my auntie was living here with him and kept on asking me to come to the island because she was, you know, here pretty much by herself and she was bored. And so asked me to come and uh, I came a few times and then basically my auntie wouldn't let me go. And so I, I ended up living here and then met my husband who's from North Korea originally as well and had come uh, you know, evacuated or, or kind of fled as a refugee drunk. Or... <laughs> and are you happy here? <laughs> yeah, I'm happy. Life is good. Um, my daughter actually lives in New York, and so that's why I understand a little bit of English, but I currently speak English. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm living here. Life is good. I get to do the work that I want. Um, so yeah, I'm happy. Mm. I'm now visiting a place called uh, Shimchonggak on Pengyongdo, and this is where we can look straight across the water into uh, North Korea. Shimchonggak is named after the Hyonyo or filial daughter Shimchong, uh, who, legend has it, uh, threw herself into the waves to sacrifice herself to the dragon king beneath the sea to restore the sight to her blind father. Uh, and it is one of the few remaining pansori tales that uh, have been passed down through the generations. So uh, I'm not sure if Shimchong was supposed to have thrown herself into the water here, but for some reason they've built a statue to her uh, and a, a lookout observatory post. It is a uh, a little bit overcast today, but the vision is not too impeded. It's quite clear. And uh, looking over the the mountains of North Korea, uh, I'm joined also by a, a group of uh, Korean tourists who have come here to do the same. I don't see any uh, cities or military installations. It is, although it is the closest spot to North Korea, it's the spot where you don't actually see much life uh, in North Korea. So that's a bit of a shame. Uh, the interesting difference between our trip two years ago to the island of Yeonpyeongdo is we do not see a plethora of Chinese blue crab fishing boats over here in South Korean waters being dogged by a South Korean Coast Guard vessel shouting at them to get back. Here it's actually all is peaceful. There are a couple of boats in the water. I can't tell whose boats they are. Chris Green? We, scat we looked in, they are military vessels, but it's a little too far away to be sure. I think on balance they look more South Korean than North Korean, but as I say, it's, it's tricky. Given the, uh, I mean, w would the point halfway between this island and that bit of mainland, would that be more or less where the NLL, I mean, how, where's the point? I suppose it would be about halfway between, wouldn't it? Yes. Okay, so given that, then uh, I suppose these boats are certainly close to the NLL. It's hard to see which side they're on, isn't it? Yeah, it is very hard. A depth perception's tricky, but they look to be closer to us than North Korea, wouldn't you say? I would say that. Thank you, Chris Green, for the International Crisis Group, here to stop a crisis. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Always. At Shimchongak, James Fretwell and I came upon a small group of uh, South Korean tourists with their much younger South Korean guide uh, explaining uh, the uh, the lookout at Pengyongdo uh, and pointing at things on the map. And we stopped them to uh, to ask a couple of questions of the tour guide. Why do South Korean tourists come to Pengyongdo? Uh, and are they interested in North Korea? Uh, James Fretwell provided the interpreting here, so thank you to uh, to James. Uh. So the quick summary is that, uh, yeah, those, those tourists um, are interested in North Korea, um, which is interesting because, um, you know, in, in South Korea there is a uh, declining interest in, in unification and in North Korea generally, but um, this shows that there are uh, certain people that are still interested in the topic. Although they are mostly over the age of 50, are they not, these tourists? That is true, yes. Um, so we only got to talk to them for a, for a moment. But um, yeah, that's, that's what they said and that's why they were here. Yeah. The guide appeared to be the youngest one of all of them. Uh, thanks very much, James Fretwell. Uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Okay, we are now on a, uh, a beach here. Ifan, do you know the name of this beach by any chance? Okay, it's a beach on uh, Pengyong Island, and uh, Ifang of NK News has found some North Korean trash. What have you found? Uh, it looks like some candy bars mm -hmm. uh, packaging. This looks like it's kind of a transparent looking bag with a blue label, maybe 400 grams of sugar, ah. I think. Um, yeah, and some other stuff. But this is dated back 2011. Wow. So it's been here for a while, I guess. But then there's also more recent look looking packaging. Yeah. Butter cow bread. That's right. Yeah, never had it. it but it's got calcium in there. It, it does, yeah. This, this one, is it South Korean? No, I, th I think it's North Korean. It is sometimes hard to tell, but when you see Bada, that's generally a, scent, a sign that's North Korean. Plus also, it's the May 1st uh, stadium here. That's the brand oh. of, the, of the bread. It's actually <laughs> named after the May 1st stadium with a little logo. That's quite cute. Good catch, yeah. yeah. And also the, the font is a bit different. Oh, one of them is flying away. Oh, Lord. Oh. He's now caught in the fence. You've lost one of your pieces of trash that you've worked so yeah. hard to collect. It's in the barbed wire right now. I uh, definitely cannot reach that anymore. Yeah, that's too bad. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. My colleagues have spent half an hour walking up and down the beach. They haven't found much trash uh, at all, but uh, certainly a lot of um, uh, seashells, pebbles, and an incredibly large flock of seagulls that you can maybe hear circling in the background. This was one of our missions on coming here in the first place, was to visit the beaches of Pengyongdo to see what kinds of trash um, turn up. Uh, Bart von Genuchten has made some great videos uh, for NK News and also for his own channel on YouTube, I Go Bart, in which you'll see him collecting North Korean trash for education and fun uh, along various beaches of South Korea on the east and west coasts. Two young Marines ran up to us from the nearby observation post to check if we had taken any photographs of the military facilities on the beach, namely the uh, iron uh, mesh fence that separates the beach from the rest of the island and also the barbed wire atop that and the small gate that allows access between the beach and the rest of the island. Uh, they found that we had taken some photographs and they asked us to, uh, to delete all of those pictures. Uh, apparently under uh, South Korean law, it's forbidden to take any photographs of any military f facilities, including uh, fences and gates. Uh, so, Chad, we've, uh, we're still here at Origol Beach, uh, which is a, what's on the north coast of Heng, uh, Pe Pengyongdo. Uh, we just had two Marines come over and tell us uh, not to take any photographs. What's that all about, Chad? What do you make of it all? Uh, well, it's very like we're in North Korea. That's the kind of thing you would experience in North Korea, being told where you can and can't take photos. I think here it's because it's a military location and both careers are very touchy about taking photos of uh, frontier areas. Um, we are by barbed wire fences that are ostensibly, I imagine, to protect from North Korean infiltrators. Um, but also, as we saw a sign saying over there, welcome to Seoul or welcome to uh, Korea. So there is a way in and I guess maybe they don't want that to be publicized. Yeah. Chris, what do you make of it? Why is there such a sensitivity about, uh, after all, just taking photographs of fences and gates? Well, sometimes it looks silly because the regulations stipulate a certain category of item can't be photographed, and under some circumstances that category of item looks very sort of mundane yeah. and unnecessary to be overly concerned about. But if, it, if, if the regulations stipulate, then the regulations stipulate. Anyway, they've come over and they've talked to us, asked for us to delete some photos which uh, we've mostly done, and uh, yeah, we're good to go now. In Seoul, it's illegal to take photographs outside, for example, the US and UK embassies. I would that be a similar rule that would cover that, do you think, or is that for a different purpose? I don't know. Honest answer, short. <laughs> I like it. She's actually taking more pictures right now. It, it's obvious, it's plain as day. Are they still behind us? They are, no, they're still there, they're still having a conversation. James. Yeah, th these are uh, clearly junior Marines who have been sent over to, uh, to tell us not to take photographs, but um, whoever really cares about it, the uh, commanding officer did not come over with them. I don't think there's a great deal of interest, is there, on anyone's part, really? And now there's a, there's a, a local farmer 
uh, or some other sort of member of the workforce who's come over to, to see what's going on, lending additional uh, impetus to the story. What are your thoughts on the coffee that we've been given here, Chris? I'm always grateful for anything that resembles coffee when you're out in the sticks, do you know what I mean? Does this resemble coffee? It resembles coffee, it does. Is it coffee? Uh, you know, I think it is. And we had an interesting conversation with the lady who made it for us. Did I don't you? think I don't think any time was wasted. Yeah, a lady who's only been here for three months, oh. moved down for, from Seoul due to, due to a lack of uh, personnel at her family's uh, enterprises in the area. She said she's very happy to have made the move. She used to work in a, in a, in a company in Seoul. I don't know what kind of company. Uh, but now she's down here running a, a, a sushi a restaurant and a hotel and a couple of other businesses. Uh, and she's so far so good, seems to be doing rather well. So, Chad, here we are in uh, one of the uh, the small fishing uh, ports of, uh, of Pyongyang-do, looking at the, the coast of North Korea. Uh, and I'm reminded that this is roughly the area where about two years ago a South Korean government official jumped off a fishing boat and drifted in the water for a long time before reaching the coast of North Korea. Yeah, but it, it was a very strange story. Uh, the guy jumped off uh, a South Korean vessel and, and sort of drifted, I think, for about 12, 14 hours and was uh, was found uh, by the North Koreans and then killed and executed and burned. And the guys, the North Korean guys were apparently wearing like those kind of Squid Game style um, protection hazardous, hazardous material suits yeah. and uh, yeah. Do you believe that he jumped voluntarily from the boat or that he fell? I mean, there's some controversy about yeah, that? It sounds like he deliberately did it. He I think he left his shoes on board, which was an indicator that he was uh, thinking of going that way. But yeah, it was, we never really found out why or what the, the rationale was. And he clearly wasn't aware of uh, um, the very extreme North Korean border policies at the time. Right, because of COVID. Now, his family, as I recall in the news, were quite adamant that... Uh, he never would have jumped. Uh, it must have been an accident. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um. Yeah. Yeah, it was a was a bizarre story. And it was a short time after this uh, re-defection story, wasn't it? Yeah, and one thing we should add is Kim Jong-un, of course, uh, he actually wrote an apology letter to Moon Jae-in after that happened, um, after this guy was killed, uh, apologizing for the unilateral actions of his military, uh, which didn't really change anything with the intercurrent right? No. All right, we'll go back. Just arrived after a very steep uphill walk to the Chonan Ship 46 Brave Men Monument. That's the title. I'll read the text from the plaque here. There are some English mistakes. On 21-22 of March 26, 2010, ROK naval ship Chonan, which was conducting a maritime operation 2.5 kilometers away from southwest direction of Pengyongdo, sank due to an explosion under the sea. The hull was separated into head and tail sections due to the impact. Among 104 crews, 58 were rescued, but 46 were never found. Until May 20th, our forces continued search and rescue operation through day and night under harsh underwater conditions, while taking an early action by getting support from US Navy, civilians and other related officials. However, in spite of the efforts and the wishes of our nations, all missing hands were lost, only their cold bodies recovered. To find the reason why ROK and Chonan was attacked, civil military joint research organization and experts from US, Australia, UK and Sweden were assembled to conduct scientific research and detailed verification of the incident. On May 15th, a civilian fishing boat found the propellant assembly of a torpedo made by North Korea in vicinity of where Chonan was sunk, which became a prominent evidence. As a result, it has been proven that explosion under the sea which caused the submersion of the ship was due to an induced torpedo made by North Korea. Consequently, 
North Korea's true colors were shown all over the world by the discovery of this savage, cruel provocation. To acknowledge our future generations of this tragedy and to remember North Korea's savagery and the honorable practice of 46 men lost in Chonan, our forces have established a monument where it oversees the place of attack. And this monument has faces cast in bronze, 3D portraits of each of the 46 who were lost in the Chonan and overlooks a part of the sea where the Chonan was apparently sunk. Chris Green of the International Crisis Group again. Uh, I just read out the, uh, the plaque over there about the, the basic facts of the incident. Uh, I had forgotten that there was a substantial number of sailors who were in fact rescued from the corvette. Not everybody drowned. Uh, were you in Korea at the time of the incident in 2010? Yes, uh, in 2010 I was uh, working for Daily NK in Seoul. Okay, and uh, what's your, your memory of the incident? Uh, well, the incident took place on a Saturday evening, so unlike the, the Yonpyongdo shelling that came in November of the same year, there was nobody working at the time. Um, but it was certainly uh, a very shocking event that, that had affected all of my colleagues very deeply. And uh, having, um, have you actually looked at the uh, results of the scientific study done by South Korea and the US, UK, uh, Australia and Sweden? Yes, at the time I was following it quite closely as a member of a media organisation, so yes. And what's your take on it? What, what do you think actually uh, sank the Chonan? Well, I'm not an expert in any of those fields, but my feeling at the time, based on all of the evidence that I was uh, required to go through, was that the, 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 uh, the view of events put forward by the South Korean government and its international partners was approximately the correct one. There are some prominent voices that have uh, argued against this, aren't there? Yes, there are. In South Korea and abroad, there are those who think that the Chonan ran afoul of a stray mine. Um, and there are those, even some, who think that it was uh, a complete fabrication by those who wish to, uh, who wish North Korea ill, let's say. Do you wish to name anybody who uh, supports such uh, conspiracy theories? Well, no, not least because I'm not sure whether those people may have changed their minds in the interim period, right? It would be unfair to start naming people now. Right. But uh, 12 years now after the incident, you would still believe on the balance of probabilities that it probably was close to the, uh, the findings of the report of the Five Nations? Yes, and if we bring in some evidence from defector-run organizations, including Dane NK released at the time, based upon inside source information suggesting that uh, the sinking had been an act committed by uh, Kim Jong-un's military at the time when Kim Jong-un was building his reputation as the successor within North Korea, but had not yet been publicly announced as such, uh, that story folded in with the facts from the international investigation strike me as being quite convincing. Andrew Lankov, do you agree? Uh, with what? I heard only ah. the second half. Uh, first of all, that the, the corvette, the Chonan, was most likely sunk by North Korea and that it was mo more specifically done under the orders of Kim Jong-un as he was building up his uh, reputation before his uh, prominent unveiling in October of the same year. Uh, well, in regard to the first part of the question, yes, I would say say 99% at least. Uh, talking about orders of Kim Jong-un, I'm not so sure, uh, because it's in the working of North Korean government, of which we know very little. Uh, anyway, even if Kim Jong-un took an initiative, he definitely needed uh, approval, explicit approval of his father at that stage. So in the end of the day, it's Kim Jong-un's decision. Maybe supported and lobbied, but well, we all lobby some decisions, but uh, responsibility on, is on the person who makes it. Uh, one of the members of North Korea's elite, Kim Yong-chol, is known sometimes in South Korean media as the, uh, the author of the sinking of the, the Chonan. Um, is that a fair title, do you think? Once again, I have never served as the general staff of the North Korean army, and I don't have a, a rank of colonel of the Korean People's Army. And have I had, probably it would not be high enough to have real knowledge on such matters. So, simple answer is Kim Yong-chol, I know not. He does have such a reputation, and probably, but not necessarily, it's well-founded. Uh, well, we'll probably learn about it in due time, which might mean 30 years or 60 years or 100 years, we don't know. Uh, but once again, uh, 
Well, it's a job of military personnel across the globe to devise all ways or to attack your neighbors or repel attack from your neighbors. But tanks began to move, guns began to shoot only when the order is given, and the order is not given by people like Kim Yong-chol. Thank you very much, Andrew Lankov and Christopher Green. What was the uh, the uh, significance of the later Yonpyeongdo attack in November of the same year after the Chonan sinking? It was a big significance uh, because South Korea used to have, to some extent still has, but used to have a culture of suspicion in regard to the right-leaning governments. Uh, so they left uh, leaning intellectuals largely. They never believe, they love conspiracy theories. If, if you had uh, some kind of North Korean attack, uh, a significant part of the progressive intellectuals would immediately start saying, talking that it was actually a, a provocation of the evil right. And uh, this, they began, uh, they resumed their usual, be began to sing their usual songs after uh, uh, a Chonan incident. They basically said that it was probably a Mimbak conspiracy that president secretly ordered and tackled his own warship and so on don't love it's this type of no it's funny you should say that because when i was in pyongyang in august the same year 2010 yeah. at the circus in pyongyang that was the story that was the comedy sketch it was the south korean navy officer trying to convince his navy juniors that uh, the chonan was sunk by the north koreans and the navy juniors the, the enlisted men said no 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 we know that's not true that it was Im myung bak trying to shore up his failing, his sagging popularity figures. Yes, and as a matter of fact, we know that his popularity didn't go down because his party won the next election. But it's uh, not the issue. It's, uh, but in this case, uh, North Koreans finally shot, uh, sh uh, shot their own feet. Uh, because a few months later they had Yonpyeongdo shelling, which could not be blamed on anybody but the North Koreans. Even the most radical, uh, progressive, left-leaning professor from Yonsei University would not insist that the South Korean military secretly placed its guns on the North Korean territory to shell um, essentially a village, a fishing village. So people who had doubts, well, they began to be far more reluctant to t entertain conspiracy theories. And then, then the general environment began to change. The local left began to basically drift to, I would say, less radical positions, or at least uh, they began to lose their in sort of love for North Korea they used to have for a couple of decades. They were disappointed. Yes. So basically this kind of conspiracy talk has not disappeared completely, but it's now exists on the margins. It's a bit like same talks in many other societies. Thank you very much, Andre Lankov. It's the last hour or two here on Penyong Island, and we're driving around in the NK News company car, listening to Jammin' by the late Bob Marley. We're going to go and explore one more beach from which we can maybe see some of North Korea. Okay, and I've, I'm now with Chad and Jean and Ethan and Arius, Tomas, James and Chris. It's our last hour or two on the island. We've, we've come down to one more beach. Chad has just walked into what is, could be an active minefield. Yeah, Chad, the, the, red, the red triangular thing that says mines, don't go in there. So uh, we're wandering around the beach looking for any objects of interest that might have washed up from North Korea. Chris, did you just find a phone from North Korea or that bottle of Trevi water? <laughs> oh, I would love to take Trevi water to North Korea. Wonderful. No, and the last beach that we went to this morning, uh, there really wasn't much trash either. And what little of it there was was from China. It's weird. What kind of things do you normally look for? Uh, consumer products. Um, yeah, like ice cream, packets, uh, drinks, bottles. That kind of stuff. 
and it's weird like yeah there's very very little trash here which yeah. i thought that guy that wrote the book about trash right. in from north korea came i thought he was coming here regularly to ah i spoke to bart recently our uh, video producer friend who uh, and colleague who went to uh, look on the east coast and he found uh, an iv bag apparently that's quite a common thing to come from north oh, korea right. found on the internet yeah we found one on the uh, east coast as well that's a bit odd isn't it yeah yeah it was uh, the one we found was had german translations on it and it huh um I remember we were with some German speakers and they said that the uh, German was like machine translation ah. wasn't good. So yeah, I don't know why, what they, they would be doing with that. Yes. Tell me more, Jean McKenzie. I mean, I have, I have just arrived in South Korea, so I didn't really know what to expect from coming here. I was interested to get close to North Korea and to be able to see it. I think what I didn't expect was how militarized mm. the island would feel. Right. Um, and you know, some of the architecture like along the beaches is quite like, brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. very stark. Yeah. So I'd prepared to see North Korea, you know, the land, but I hadn't prepared for what it would look like on the defensive side here. Right. And I think the other thing that has surprised me is there is this, you know, perception that people in South Korea, well, reality, that people in South Korea don't really think much about North Korea. And you get that in Seoul, where you could be, you know, a million miles away from North Korea for all you know. Yeah. Uh, but I've been surprised by being on this island where, which is so far away from the mainland South Korea and so close to mm. North Korea, even people here don't really seem to think about North Korea or it's not something they worry about and yet you have North Korea within sight. Yeah. So I've been surprised by that attitude of not thinking much about North Korea extends to even the people who live within its reach, whose beaches are completely fortified in order to stop a North Korean invasion. Even they don't think about it much. That's right. And even during the decade, some people from this island have had relatives who were abducted by North Korea while they were out fishing. And that's... that's uh, it's forgotten ultimately ancient history yeah yeah it just is a small island where people are getting on with their lives but if that was true if what was true if, if people really did just ignore it then we wouldn't have had repeated interactions about ukraine that end on discussion of north korea's right to defend itself potentially with nuclear weapons right I think people, people in small communities have a defensive unwillingness to chat with outsiders, quote unquote, about their lives, about, you know, that's, that's the spirit of small towns in faraway places that I think probably exists here too. But I think there are some hints that, at least on some level, issues about North Korea do cross people's minds. I'm not saying they think about these things daily, I don't think that's the case, but mm. there is some level upon which North Korea does enter their consciousness from time to time. No, I think that that's a fair assessment of it. Yeah, obviously, uh, it's, isn't it also similar to in South Korea, people can't live in fear day after day for 70 years. They have to at some point get on with their lives and continue raising children, getting married, having jobs, and trying to, uh, uh, to get uh, promoted and that sort of thing. And you know, war only intrudes uh, occasionally into people's thoughts. Well, that's absolutely right. And the, the life course is not the same. It doesn't move at the same pace as this kind of conflict, which has been around for so long. Mm. People do need and want to, as you said, get married, have children. Well, not so much in South Korea, but anyway. Put, <laughs> put their children through school and, and, and get good jobs and earn money and enjoy themselves and all these things. They don't happen on a timeline set by North Korea, and they never will. And so it's the same here on Pyongyang, though? Absolutely. Mm. Thank you, Chris Green. Always a pleasure, never a chore. I've come out to the poop deck at the back of the ferry. Visibility is incredibly limited. It's hard to see anything beyond a few meters uh, due to the uh, the fog and the uh, and the mist. 
Luckily, I can say this though, the, uh, the journey has been quite a smooth one. I've not felt an ounce of seasickness. In fact, these four-hour ferry trips between Pengyongdo and Incheon are a good place uh, when the weather's nice and the seas are uh, still. It's a good place to, to catch up on some sleep. I think I slept for the last hour or so, maybe even an hour and a half. There is a, a stop or two between Incheon and Pengyongdo. We stop at uh, uh, two smaller islands. One is, I think, uh, Sojongdo and one is Dejongdo. And, and uh, uh, yeah, they, they just flew by as I was just uh, napping. But anyway, this trip has um, given me time to, uh, to reflect on the fact that these days we're unable to visit North Korea. Nobody can visit North Korea. So these sort of visits in South Korea to border zones, to islands that are uh, near North Korea, where you can see North Korea, where people's lives are somehow... Uh, impacted by North Korea, whether that be through contact with uh, Chinese fishing boats that are allowed to go into South Korean waters by North Korea, or whether it's through uh, missile attacks as they were in Yeonpyeongdo in late 2012, um, 2010, sorry. Uh, these are the places where you still get a sense of, uh, of North Korea's physical presence and its physical reality and proximity. In Seoul, it's so easy in the hustle and bustle of the everyday city with 10 to 12 million people around you each day. It's so easy to forget that. So it's trips to the borderlands where one can remember that. Anyway, uh, we, we hope you enjoyed this uh, audio experiment episode of the podcast. It's unlike one we've ever done before, although that's it, not completely true. It's a little bit like the one that we did on the ferry uh, two years ago coming back from Yonpyongdo, but still this was uh this is quite experimental in nature and if it works out okay we may do one on a future trip to a border area i'd like to thank everyone from nk news and also our friends from outside the company who came along with us on this trip and made it such a, a memorable uh, tour to pengyongdo uh, i'm sorry that i uh, that it took so long to uh, to visit this island I, I can't believe i think i first read about it in 1999 in an, in an issue of the korea times and uh, didn't get to come and see it until just now so that was far too long hopefully it won't be that many years uh, between now and the next trip anyway thanks listeners for listening and uh, don't forget to check out check out nknews.org and if you already have a subscription at nknews.org check out nk pro for all the latest news and analysis from our expert commentators uh, reporters and analysts on all the news that's fit to print about north korea